The housing market is back from the depths, and we ask, is Congress really going to get rid of Fannie and Freddie? You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show, folks. I am David Hansen. Matt Kopeneffer is still enjoying his African vacation. So today we are revisiting another one of our interviews that we did at Columbia Business School. This one was with real estate professor Chris Mayer. Hope you enjoy. Hey, folks. I'm David Hansen. I'm here with Chris Mayer. He's a professor of real estate here at the Columbia Business School. Um, so first question off the top, Kay Schiller, uh, up 12% year over year. What's your first thought when you hear something like that? Um... The housing market fell too far, and it's kind of recovering a little bit. And that's we're not we're not going back into the bubble. I'm not in the sort of we're in the you know we're in another housing bubble sort of mm-hmm. world. I think the market just really cratered, right? And we're starting to sort of recover. Now mm-hmm. we could talk about which places, because I think if you're living in Las Vegas or Phoenix, I think you should not expect that house prices are coming back to where they were. Um, so. You know, the, do do some really you know simple math. Take a place like Las Vegas where house prices fell more than fifty percent, and then you read a big headline that says, "Gee, house prices are up thirty percent this year." So if you do the math on the index, what do you go? Well, you went from one hundred to fifty, and now from fifty, you're up thirty percent. That gets you up to sixty-five. So it's not plus mm-hmm. you know minus fifty plus thirty. It's actually the thirty percent is off a much lower base. So effectively, you know, going up thirty percent makes a lot of headlines. It doesn't mean we're anywhere close to where we were before. Right. So, so still being down. Some of the narrative out there is that America is moving towards a renter society, and we've seen right. firms like Blackstone, Silver Bay, American Homes for Rent. They're moving into the space as buyers. And then operators and renters. Is this a model that you think could work? Um, I think we should sort of separate the macro headlines about you know moving to a renter society, which I think we're not doing, mm-hmm. with the question of can these business models work well. So you know historically, more than a quarter of single family homes have been rented in some way, shape, or form, but almost all run by mom and pop sort of operators. So if you kind of ask, could somebody enter that business? consolidate that, run it more efficiently? Um, The answer is surely yes. Um, That was already true even with a home ownership rate in the mid to upper 60% range. So these businesses could work whether or not the macro story of we're moving to a renter society works. And I have to say my own view on that is a little more skeptical, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, if you ask at a given point in time, is the percentage of people in their 20s going to be homeowners? Is that percentage going to go down? Absolutely. The percentage of people in their 30s who are going to be homeowners go, you know, go down? Absolutely. Right. Over the lifetime, if you sort of ask typical Americans, their lifetime homeownership rate is close to 85%. So the vast majority of Americans have been um, homeowners at some point in time. Do I think that's going to change? I still think at some point in their lives, the vast majority of homeowner of Americans will still be homeowners. Right. So you've done some work on out of town speculators and coming yes. in and how that can, can inflate markets <laughs> like Las Vegas. Do you see those companies like a Blackstone? Do you see that as pushing housing prices too high or is that kind of just the natural force is someone's going to come in and buy the house if it's well, a good deal. I mean, I think anybody come, any investors coming into the market, what we did in our research basically showed that the 
that when investors come into a housing market, they push prices up. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, for you know, for the for your aficionados, right? This isn't really news. Mm-hmm. When a bunch of investors come in, when there's a recommendation to come in, what happens? Prices mm-hmm. rise. So that's not really rocket science. What is, you know, and almost surely the in, the influx of investors has raised house prices off of the floor that they were before. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bubble or that investors are sort of paying crazy prices for things as well. It really depends what's behind the business model. Mm-hmm. If the model is I'm going to buy and flip, um, you know, lots of people have gotten into trouble with buy and flip models for housing because you have to time it right. And frankly, it's very expensive to hold them and renovate them and do all this stuff. If the idea is to build a business that is a long run operating business, that's a different business model. I think. There's going to be, you know, there are going to be people who succeed at building that business mm-hmm. um, as a whole, just because you had so many mom and pop shops who were not terribly efficient who were doing this before. Right. So there's been research done, academic research. Schiller's gone back and said, well, real home prices over the course of time, they basically stay with inflation. We shouldn't expect huge gains in home prices. We're we're continuing to see that people move away from that. People continue to expect. These right. big prices, is that just, is it always going to be that way? People are going to go on Zillow, go on Truly and say, oh, man, my house is up 10%. This is great. I should expect that going forward. Is it always going to be that way? Um, I don't think so, but I'm not, I'm not 100% sure mm-hmm. about that. It, the surveys that Case and Schiller done are really interesting. When home prices are rising, people are all about what their home is worth. And their surveys show that. When home prices are flat or falling and you ask people what their home is about, it's a place to live. Mm-hmm. And so there's always a little bit of this kind of the psychology around this is when I feel wealthier, of course, you know, then I talk about, you know, price increases. Right. But I think at its core, most Americans who buy homes believe they're buying homes to live in them. 19 out of 20 Americans, you know, young Americans surveyed still say they want to be homeowners. I don't think that's gone away mm-hmm. in any way. Right. Uh, before we started filming, you mentioned you were down in D.C. talking, I'm assuming, about GSE reform. So I guess my questions would be, what do you think the government should do with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and what do you think they actually will do with them? Um, should do is easy for an economist to mm-hmm. answer. Will do, even the best political scientist. Don't know the answer <laughs> to that question. Um, the should do part um, I think the Corker Warner bill is not a you know is a is a really good start on the legislative front. Mm-hmm. It fits the basic principles, which is it's a path for the U.S. government to withdraw its footprint, and it has it such that lenders who are in the market are going to bear some risk associated with the mortgages that they make. Mm-hmm. And to my mind, that's one of the big problems is when you have a lender making a loan where they they have no stake in the outcome. We sort of know that you know the heads I win, tails taxpayer or somebody else loses, even if it's not taxpayers, is not a very good lending mm-hmm. model. So I think that's, you know, to my mind, that's a really good approach to thinking about GSE reform. Right. Um, will it happen? You know, at the panel today, Senators Corker and Tester both said, yes, we think, you know, we think there's a mm-hmm. real shot at getting this out of the Senate and even having the House pass something. But I'm no prognosticator. I certainly, you know, betting on progress in D.C. strikes me as one of the uh, one of the more challenging kind of bets for anybody to make, especially right. an economist. So we're an investment company, and there's been some investors out there, Bruce Berkowitz, some retail investors that have come out and bought the preferred shares of Fannie and Freddie, and also the common. <laughs> what do you say to those people? Do you think that's a reasonable bet, or do you see that as kind of just a 
a straight up gamble. I mean, look, the the U.S. government has all sorts of rules about how they can pull all the profits out of Fannie and Freddie. Mm-hmm. This is really a bet that you're not going to see GSE reform that wipes them out. And, and it's a big and also that there are that the way conservatorship was set up was done in a way that was not going to pass muster. So their litigation is going to sort of prevent the federal government from mm-hmm. sort of scraping all the profits and moving it back into the Treasury. So it's a two-pronged bet. I'm not a lawyer. I have no view as to whether, you know, conservatorship was done in a way that, you know, would allow this to happen or not. The political process, frankly, I think most Americans do think Fannie and Freddie should be eliminated. Mm-hmm. So on that vote, I know what the political pressure is, but if the bet is that nothing will happen in D.C., there are many, many people who have done very well mm-hmm. on the bet that, you know, even if something should happen in D.C., that it actually won't. Mm-hmm. That one is always a reasonable, there's always a reasonable chance on that. Right. And one of the things that when they're talking about GSC reform is they say we, we've got to keep the 30-year fix. That's crucial to the economy, right. crucial to the housing market. But if we look outside the U.S., there are countries with higher homeownership rates. Do we need the 30-year fix? mortgage. You you are completely correct. Mm -hmm. If you look globally, very few countries have a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Many countries have homeownership rates higher than the U.S. Do we need it? No. Is it a psychological issue for many Americans? It is. And I think that is showing up in the political process in a way that is going to make it very likely that the 30-year fixed rate is going to stay. But as an economist, I've actually written a paper, for example, talking about why prepayment penalties can actually be a good thing. Mm -hmm. And I think this crisis has shown us that the 30-year fixed rate mortgage is really good for people who are well qualified, have lots of money. And, you know, when interest rates fall, they're always going to be able to refinance. Mm -hmm. If you're a distressed borrower, and watched your home go down in value, there were tens of millions of Americans who could never access lower interest rates to refinance. And so if you ask who got the best deal through the crisis on interest rates, it was people who had arms. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, what do I advise people? I think an arm is a good product. And I also think that if we're going to go through this with a 30-year fixed, we have to figure out a way to help people, particularly distressed borrowers, um, refinance if we're going to go, you know, if we're going to have the risk of another crisis. Right. Staying abroad, there's been some talks about Canada, Australia, that their housing markets look a lot like ours did back in 2006. Have you looked at those markets at all? And do you think that there's potential looming there in the real estate, in the banking industry? So I'll give you an anecdote. I traveled to Canada last summer. I've spent a bunch of time traveling different parts of the world. So when you ask about global stuff, Mm -hmm. I've become very interested in learning about what other people do, because I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. So I was traveling last summer to the University of British Columbia to give a talk. And I'm going through customs. Custom officer says, you know, you know, what are you doing in the country? I'm going to University of British Columbia. What are you a professor? What are you going to talk on? I'm talking on the housing market. And he looks at me and says, do we have a housing bubble here in Vancouver? So, you know, whenever the, it reminded me the last time somebody asked me that question was a CNBC cameraman in 2005 who was telling me about the third home that he was about to purchase. Mm-hmm. So it had a little bit of that feel. So, you know, what it, there's always this sort of when people are really nervous about a bubble, 
there's probably at least something there, you know, not when it's economists, when, when it's ordinary sort of people. So I think there are a lot of people who are worried about Canada right mm -hmm. now. And I think also Australia has, you know, people who are concerned about the level of house prices. In fact, you know, unlike the previous time when the, you know, when people didn't take into account housing in the banks, you've seen some of the Canadian banks get downgraded, for example, because of concerns about, um, about risk. Mm -hmm in the housing sector. So I do think that there's concern there. I'm not close enough to it to sort of say, yes, the bubble is going to crash on the state, but there are enough kind of signs out there that people certainly have to be aware of those issues. Stepping back and just looking at the broader housing market, is there, there's a lot of metrics that metrics that come out. We have housing starts, applications, mortgage rates. Is yeah, there I, any... get, I get calls almost every other day to mm -hmm. some new statistic come weekly, out. Do you think yeah. it's like, do you think this is a really big deal? Mm -hmm. And, you know, sort of like weekly unemployment claims, they bounce around right. a lot, you know, who knows? So I guess that would be my, is there one that's more important than the other? Or are they all kind of just noise and the long-term trend is really the story? Um, I think, you know, the monthly data still have an element of noise to them. Case and Schiller has reported that the seasonality doesn't work so well on their indexes. Mm -hmm. um, Zillow, I think, also has very good um, indexes that I, you know, if you ask me kind of what do I use in my research, um, they have very good data that I, you know, use a lot and I don't have any, you know, shares in Zillow <laughs> to, for full disclosure. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in general, it's the sort of putting together all the pieces. So if you ask me one thing that I think is, if you were sort of asking me, what do I think is going to be a really important issue for housing? It's household formation. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen, you know, household formation levels that are at, you know, I want to say all time lows, but incredibly low levels, even coming out of the recession, people are living at home, doubling up, tripling up. People are getting married later, having kids later, all this kind of stuff. And that's really the demand side of the equation for housing. So I still am a straight fundamentals kind of guy, and I worry a lot about that. Um, I do look at sort of the composition of who's buying. If you see a lot of cash purchases, that tells you something because ultimately housing has to be occupied and you mm -hmm. have to kind of work your way through um, through that picture. And, you know, obviously prices and the percentage of people underwater also matter. So those are some of the things that I look at. And, of course, housing starts. Mm -hmm. but, so, so the formation is the demand side and the housing starts kind of the supply side. the supply side, side yes. Which we've been trending below kind of what we're going to need to keep up with the historical rate. Yes. I mean, that's a, the housing starts. If you look at the numbers, and this is one of the things that we talked about this morning on our, uh, on our panel, mm -hmm. the joint center at house of housing at Harvard kind of tracks some of those, uh, you know, the data on the construction and household formation side. And I think, you know, those are concerns at the moment because ordinarily coming out of a recession, you would have seen the housing market, you know, just completely take off and pull the economy out. Obviously, this recession looks nothing like what the recovery of a typical recession mm -hmm. would be because housing has been so slow. And you can easily account for 1% to 2% of GDP slower recovery just based on housing not having done what it normally does. Right. So, you know, I pay attention to that. But for my, to my mind, the big things are kind of looking at when we start forming households, that's going to be when we start demanding more housing. That's when prices start coming up to construction costs. But, you know, where they recover, you know, I think – a bad benchmark is where they were in 2005 is where they'd expect. Mm -hmm. If you're in San Francisco, 
um, I believe they'll be above that. Mm -hmm. If you're in New York, if you're in Boston, history says they're going to exceed that level. Mm -hmm. If you're in Las Vegas or Phoenix or Miami, history does not say we're going to exceed those levels anytime mm -hmm. in the next decade. So, so you talked about people maybe staying at their parents' house longer, delaying things. One of the things that some people point to is, okay, rising rates will get people off the sidelines and that's going to keep us going. Is there evidence to support that rising rates really do serve as a motivation for people to, to come into the market? Um, it's certainly, I wouldn't even call it an urban legend. It's what, you know, just a myth. real estate <laughs> brokers and mortgage brokers mm -hmm. both say it. There's probably something to that view. I haven't, I haven't ever seen a study on mm -hmm. that. Obviously, it's sort of not... You know, it can't be a long run thing because obviously rising rates make housing less affordable and are going to push down prices. Mm -hmm. But in the short run, we all understand people need motivations to do things. Certainly your listeners understand mm -hmm. that in the investment side, that there are triggers that push people into things that aren't necessarily, you know, you just don't know when the low is going to hit. Mm -hmm. You know, so the people who are waiting for mortgage rates just to go down a little lower and, you know, figured they would never go up again, you know, they went up 100 basis points in uh pretty short period of time. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Zillow. I mentioned Trulia earlier. When you look at those type of companies, the tech type companies, do you think there's a, a fundamental change in the way we could get mortgages, go through the housing process in the next 10 years, 15 years, or is it going to look the exact same? You're still walking into a mortgage broker, going through that whole process. It, it just seems like a process that is ripe for disruption. There's a lot of layers to the process. Do you see evidence of that changing at all in the future? I mean, I have to say, I I have enough gray hair to remember when people first called the death of the mortgage of the uh, of the um, real estate broker mm -hmm. industry, um, and that death has been called many times, and it hasn't happened yet. That does not mean that technology hasn't fundamentally changed how things are going, and you just got to believe that technology is going to push down the cost mm -hmm. of buying and selling a home and of getting a mortgage. Right. And there's no question that technology could help people a lot. You know, the, if you look, for example, at refinancing decisions, um, people who are financially sophisticated do a much better job at optimizing how they manage their finances and their mortgage than people who don't. Mm -hmm. This is not rocket science. This is something that technology can and should help them. And so do I expect that to happen? I do. Mm -hmm. So I expect those industries are going to continue to be affected to an enormous degree by technology. And it is going to, it already is, but it's going to continue to push down uh, prices. And, you know, the, that's a good thing for consumers. Mm -hmm. The upside, you know, the, cha the challenges are still regulatory challenges associated with the mortgage process that haven't been resolved. Mm -hmm. And I hope with all of the conversation of GSE reform and the top line, how do we do, deal with Fannie and Freddie, I would really love us to go to a system that looks more like the Danish mortgage system, where you have a national registry of deeds, where your mortgage bond actually trades on NASDAQ. You literally look up mortgage bonds on NASDAQ, see where your mortgage bond is, and buy and sell your mortgage inside those bonds. That level of transparency and liquidity makes housing much more affordable mm -hmm. for people who live in Denmark. You mean I can't go look at my mortgage on Fannie Mae right now? <laughs> not available. <laughs> they're, 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 well, they're starting bank. to put some of the data mm -hmm. available, but you can literally look and you can buy your mortgage out of a mortgage bond. Mm -hmm. 
And if a mortgage broker originates a mortgage in Denmark, um, they place it, you know, they price it off of the uh, off the market that day and put it into the market. Mm-hmm. There's no, you know, having this thing sit on a balance sheet, all of these kind of inefficient things. So there are real opportunities for us to use technology in ways that I think would make the system more efficient and would also be very consumer friendly mm-hmm. in helping people make better decisions. And so you got to believe that the that people are going to be developing systems to do that. And it's not only the ones you named, they're going to be personal finance sites, which mm-hmm. are going to really help people do a better job of managing their finances. And those personal finance sites surely are going to start incorporating mortgages as part of what they do. And you've seen Zillow and Trulia jump into this business as well. Mm-hmm. I really think that part of it is just getting started. Great. Thanks for joining us. Sure. Happy to come. That's our show for today. We hope you enjoyed the interview. We will be back here tomorrow with Morgan Housel. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then.